Advent is a season, as I've said before, it's got a root in two Latin words, ad and venire. It's where we get the word Advent from. Ad means to turn towards, to go towards something. And venire means to come. Advent is the season in which we turn towards the one who is to come. Turn towards the one who is to come. And this one who is to come is Jesus himself, obviously. And it is Jesus who who he has come in history. He always still continues to come to us in the church, through the sacraments, in the liturgy, through prayer and scripture. And he will come again at the end of time. In fact, that is the focus often for, for Advent. It's really focusing, really actually more proximately on Christ's second coming, what is the culmination of all his work. But the question becomes, okay, Jesus has come, he comes and he's to come. How do we encounter that Jesus? Where do we go to meet, to to go towards the one who is coming? Where does that happen? How does that happen? And this is an important question because to answer it will be essential when we talk to people about our faith. Because for many, they might think, well, faith is just a personal, private thing where I have my own talk with the Lord and, and that's all faith is. Or they'll see it maybe as just, just uh, kind of emotional experiences. I, I feel God's presence and that's, that's it. That's where it stays. Maybe it'll be the idea that, you know, well, no, faith is like having a private illumination from God. God kind of directly illuminates my mind to know that he's real. Or still others, they might say the only way I'll have faith is if Jesus appears to me. In the flesh. And then you'll have the opposite things. People will say, well, I meet God in in nature. I mean, and it's not wrong, but it's not perfect. Or or, um, I don't, the church isn't necessary to believe in Jesus. So on and so forth. These are, these are important things that often at least subconsciously go through people's minds. But let's listen to Isaiah. Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And further on in the reading, it talks about how the word of the Lord will come from Jerusalem to speak to the nations. So for Israel, for them to turn towards God, they would go towards the mountain, the house of Jacob, And they would look towards Jerusalem to see that word of God spoken to them. The mountain is the sign of God's authority and God's revelation to his people. On Sinai, this is where God reveals his Ten Commandments and his laws for the people of Israel. In the New Testament, Jesus goes up a mountain to preach his sermon on the mount to fulfill the law that God began in the Old Testament. 
It is a sign of teaching authority. The house. The house of God. This is the Old Testament, one of the phrases the Old Testament uses to talk about the temple, which is the place both where God dwells and where all Israel gathers to worship God. At least twice a year, every Israel would go to, Israel, to Jerusalem for specific feasts to worship God. Every Israelite would do this. It's part of their life. To worship and to be in God's presence in a particular place. And then Jerusalem is that city of God. It is a sign of God's kingdom. And we look towards the New Testament, especially in the book of Revelation, where it talks about the heavenly Jerusalem coming down from heaven. This is a sign of God's kingdom. It's a sign of God's kingdom. But as we're listening to Isaiah, as it talks about the mountain, the house of God, and the word of the Lord coming from Jerusalem, there's also a sense of incompletion there. It's speaking to a future time. This hasn't happened yet for Isaiah. And for Isaiah, there will be a time when these three things become one. The mountain, the temple, and the city. This is Isaiah's way of pointing towards the church. The church is the place where Christ is encountered. This is it. Just as Israel had a temple, a mountain, and a city, so too now do Christians have that place, which is the church where Christ is encountered. This is not something that man just made up. This is something Christ himself established, as we read in the scriptures. Because you hear me say this often, and it's important to remember this. God communicates to us according to the way we know. Through the senses, sight, smell, taste, hearing, and touching. The five senses. This is how God communicates himself to us. Because that's how we know things. You know I'm here right now because you can hear me. You can see me. I hope you can't smell me. Uh, right? But you know I'm here because you can hear me preaching. And you can see me up here. And so on and so forth. You know this. Where knowledge comes from. Through our senses. And so if this is how we are to know things, then God's going to set a way for us to know him according to that mode. This is why in the Old Testament, God reveals himself as a pillar of fire and as a cloud on the mountain. This is why God establishes a temple in Jerusalem, because we need a place to worship him. This is why God establishes a city, because it needs to be the coming together of a people. And Jesus completes this when he establishes the church, which as we read in Paul's various letters, is the body of Christ. The church is his body. And we as baptized people are immersed into that church. We now, that church is now something universal. It's something for all people that can enter through baptism. It's a place. It's a real place. But it's not just centered on one city, but it's now meant for the whole world. In a way, when we hear in Revelation of that heavenly Jerusalem descending from heaven, it's this sign that the whole of creation is to become the city of God. And so the church is the place where authority and teaching come from, where the presence is of Christ 
is encountered and where he's, God is worshipped. And it is the place of God's reign. So it's important to know what the church is. Because this is what Jesus has established for us to encounter him. So I want to do, just tell you a little bit, a little, little understanding of what the church is. Because I find so often Catholics uh, misunderstand this principle. Misunderstand what the church is, what her purpose is. First and foremost, the church is both something visible and invisible. Again, we know things through seeing, tasting, touching, smelling, and hearing. To to know God, we have to see something. God established that for Israel. Now God establishes us for the whole of creation through his church. And so the visible element of the church is all the baptized members. You and I are all part of the church. You and I make visible to the world Christ through his church. Christ identifies himself with his body, the church. And that gives us a commission and a mission to be that witness to the world. For people to come to Christ, they need to see Christ through others. That's why Christ establishes this church. But this baptized membership is not not just baptism that is a sign of Christ's church. Christ also institutes what we call a hierarchical communion. He gives us leadership to be the sign that he is with this church. And he does this especially through the establishment of the bishops and the pope. We hear in Matthew 16, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And to you I give the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so the church, we know we are in Christ's church because we are in communion with Peter. And more particularly, we are in communion with our local bishop, who is the sign of unity for the church. And this communion is expressed when we receive the Eucharist. This is the point This is one of the major points of receiving the Eucharist. It's it's one of the reasons we call it communion. Because it means we are in communion with the church. So this is why also, though, if we commit serious sin, we have to refrain from the Eucharist. Because we're saying, I've done an action that's hurt Christ's body. I'm not in communion with it. I need to be reestablished to communion. I'm not in union with the bishop and the pope and with the whole body of the baptized. Eucharist is Christ's body, and we receive it to become more fully his body. This is why when we gather here on the weekends, this is the fullest expression of what it means to be Catholic. This is the fullest expression of our communion. This is the, encounter, this is the place of encounter with Jesus. But it's also invisible. It is constantly empowered by the, by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is kind of the soul of the church, of Christ's body. He's the guarantor that everything that happens in the life of the church will always be according to the mind of Christ. And it's also that we are in communion with those who are already in glory and those awaiting glory in purgatory. This is the whole church. So the church is visible and invisible. The church is a temple. It is the place of worship. 
In fact, when Christ is talking in John's gospel about tearing down this temple, he talks about the temple of his body, as John explains to us. And so Jesus himself now is the temple which we are now members of. And in Christ, we worship the Father. We don't do it on our own. We do it in him. We, come, we don't come to Mass to worship God, in fact. We come to Mass to be lifted up into Jesus' worship of the Father. This is why, yes, you can worship God in other places, but it's not it's our worship. It's not Christ's perfect worship of love from the cross. This is what we do in this temple, and this is where God dwells. God dwells with us in the sacraments. He makes himself present to us. God dwells with us in the scriptures where he speaks to us. He speaks to us through prayer and through liturgy. That is the main place a relationship with Jesus is fostered and built up and enlivened. Finally, the, the, the church is that Jerusalem and that city of God and, and that mountain. Those are both signs of the kingdom, of God's authority. As we said, God gave authority to the church. But this is an important thing to realize. Authority, authority in the church is not like authority in political power. It's an authority of service. It's an authority of service. The Pope himself is bound to the tradition he's received. He can't change things. He can't say, you know what, the Eucharist isn't the Eucharist anymore. He doesn't have the power to say that. There's no power there. Authority in the church is in service, that the church is always according to the mind of Christ. New things will develop. New moral situations will come our way. And the church always has to answer that according to the mind of Christ. And this is why Jesus gives authority. And he says to them, I give you this authority. He breathes the Holy Spirit on the apostles so that that authority is given to guarantee the communion with Christ and with the whole church. It's essential to hold to what the church teaches. These are not just things that are just made up, but they are actually teachings that are meant to give us life. To fall in love with Jesus means we have to fall in love with his church. It is what Jesus has established. Because that's how we come to know him. Because he wants to communicate to us in a way that we can know him. To love Christ, the church also must be loved. Because guess what? You and I, we're all the church. It means loving each other too, by the way. That is what we are meant, that is, what it, that is at the core of, of, of the gospel. If you want to love Jesus, you have to love his church. So I want to just conclude with, with a quote from the catechism. At around pa- paragraph, uh, page 214, paragraph 748, that's where it starts to talk about the church. It's beautiful, a lot of beautiful things, but I want to conclude with this. Christians of the first century said the world was created for the sake of the church. This is God's goal. This is God's plan, by the way. The whole, when Christ comes again, the whole world will be church. The whole cosmos will be church because it's where God's going to be dwelling. God created the world for the sake of communion with his divine life. A communion brought about by the convocation of men in Christ. And this convocation is the church. The church is the goal of all things. 
And God permitted such painful upheavals as the angel's fall and man's sin only as occasions and means for displaying all the power of his arm and the whole measure of the love he wanted to give the world. Just as God's will is creation and is called the world, so his intention is the salvation of men, and it is called the church. Salvation happens through the church, because this is what Jesus has established. If we want to come to know him, we must fall in love with Christ has handed on to us in the church. And this gives us a beginning point to be able to communicate to people why we love the church and why it's so important for our life of faith. We can't have faith without the church because we can't have Christ without the church.